it's Tuesday, and I'm back with Mona Cherid. Mona, how are you? Fine, how are you? Well, you know, it's just another week, another exhaustion, another sort of, you know, existential moment. Are, are we going to get through this? I don't know. Are we going to survive this, and is my sanity going to survive this? I, but <laughs> I don't know, there's, there's nothing new about that. I have a lot of confidence in your sanity, let me say that. I, um, you know, it's, it's held up pretty well throughout, when others... Have failed. So I have confidence in your sanity, less confidence in the health of the Republic, but we okay. will see. We will see. Okay, so where do we start today? Hey, uh, Blind Squirrel Finds a Nut uh, story. I actually think that Donald Trump uh, gets this right. He wants cameras in the courtroom for his federal trial. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm with him on this. I'm, I, am, you- I am pro cameras in the courtroom. Absolutely. What do you think? Okay. So, uh, all right. So let me get over my initial like stick in the mud rule following instincts here. Okay. There are no cameras in federal courtrooms. This is a federal courtroom. So this would be a departure. Right. Second. Rules can be changed. Rules can be changed. True. Mm -hmm. But you know, those of us who are rule followers, we always want a good reason to change things. We don't want to just willy nilly. Okay. The other thing is, so he is obviously betting that his style of playing to the crowd and making a circus will redound to his advantage. You, I assume, think that this will not work so well for him. Well, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, so in the current trial, which is a in my opinion, you know, the one about his finances and uh, it's a it's a civil case in in New York. Right, right. That's different. First of all, it's already been decided. I don't know that anybody really cares, yeah. right? I will admit I kind of tuned out. Yeah. I and so but... you know, I'm not sure that that he's right that this has helped him uh, at all, except that with his base, you know, who definitely I mean, we could talk about that. We could talk about a little retrospective here as to whether all of these indictments really put us where we are as a country. There's a case that can be made for that. I'm expecting Um, you're going to make it because we went back and forth and you kind of warned us. You said, be careful what you wish for. And then there was old of us. Say we were kind of reversing them because I was the rule of law guy. Rules are rules. You have to hold them accountable. You're saying, be careful summoning the whirlwind because you might not like the whirlwind when it arrives. And here we are in the middle of the whirlwind. So, okay, I get it. Uh, Okay, I think that there should be cameras in the courtroom because, okay, you don't change the rules lightly. But then again, we've never had a former and perhaps future president of the United States facing felony charges. This is the public's business. We need to see this, what happens. But I am willing to concede the fact that cameras in the courtroom gives Trump the circus that he wants, or he thinks he does. I, I guess part of me also thinks that a federal court is just a different different animal than the state court, and the Judge Chutkin is just not going to allow the flying monkeys. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the other thing is, I do think there's a vast difference between the MAGA base and most Americans. So for the MAGA base, seeing an African-American woman judge ruling against him or telling him he can't interrupt or any of that, that is going to set them off. That's going to trigger them. But they're triggered. But they're automatically triggered. And I think for most Americans, um, that will actually be good. And frankly, if I were the Biden team, if African-American support for Biden is a little soft and if people are 
trending away from Biden, this would remind them of why they hate Trump so much. You know, I mean, this is a whole. So I read this piece. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. No, go ahead. But I read this piece by Jonathan Martin in uh, yeah, Politico. Big piece, big piece, big yeah. piece. Really, really good about how Biden needs to handle this moment, which you know Martin acknowledges is a you know it is an existential crisis for us as a country. Yeah. And Biden has to start acting like it. And and he makes a case that Biden hasn't. So, for example, he's critical of Biden over the, the way he's handled the inflation or the economy, you know, where Biden has had this tendency to argue with the voters. They just don't know all the things I've done for them, which is always the tone of losers. That seems familiar to me. <laughs> well, it's it's we see it over and over and over again in losing candidacies. You're just wrong, wrong. you people. You're wrong. Eggs should cost this much. You shouldn't care about it. And so instead, you know, he needs to project that he is very well aware of the pain that high prices cause and show some steps that he is taking to fight it and that he's on their side and that he hears them. Because, by the way, Republicans talk about high prices all the time. They blame Biden, but they never say what they're going to do to bring down prices. And one of the things that just came, you know, this this week, we have new statistics that inflation is, the rate of inflation is still trending downward, which is a good thing, but cannot be confused with the prices are still rising, right? And so they're just rising more slowly. Well, that's good. And they're, and they're still higher. And they're still higher. They're still and higher they're not going to right, revert right. back to 2019 yeah. levels. So he has to get in front of that. And anyway, so, so that's that's all interesting. And I think good advice that I hope Biden will take on board. I hope so too. But the cameras in the courtroom. Oh, cameras! In, yeah, right. I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to go back to this. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. No, but cameras in the courtroom. Yeah. That that's the thing. Okay, so those polls that we saw, you know, of uh, the famous New York Times Siena poll, which was so alarming, uh, showing Trump leading in several states, but it wasn't the mm-hmm. only poll. There were lots of polls that are showing Biden's support is really weak, and that he's a weak candidate. He's an underdog. But part of that, I mean, and this is hard for people like us who do spend all of our time thinking about politics and and the state of things, is that there are just so many people who are tuned out. And even though Trump has been in the news, they have not been seeing morning shots. They have not been seeing the things he's saying on, on Truth Social. They have not been seeing... The dinner with Nick Fuentes and uh, and and whatever not. that guy is calling himself now, uh, <laughs> um, they're not seeing that. And so when they do see it, when it is right in front of their faces, they will be reminded of just how bad he is. Right now, if you say Trump to people, to people who are disengaged from politics, they probably think, "Oh yeah, you know, he was he was divisive and he tweeted too much, but uh, the economy was good, and you know there were no foreign wars, so right. I don't know, maybe that guy." So they need to be reminded of what he is. Therefore, right. cameras in the courtroom might, but but cameras in this courtroom are just going to show him as the persecuted victim of the government going after him. They're not going to show him being his craziest. Likely, he's not going to say a word. So does that help or does it hurt the cause? I don't know. I, I You know what? I, I There are other people who can game this out better than, than I do. I just think that it is 
this is the 2024 election. This is the choice that America's got to face. Um, whether we like it or not, it revolves around the fact that we have a seditionist ex-president who tried to overthrow the election and may be a convicted felon by by November. And so open the doors, let us in. This is what it's about. Now, in Trump's reptilian brain, to his credit, I think he also understands that, you know, whether whether anybody likes it or not, this trial is going to be central and he knows he's going to be convicted. So rather than try to ignore it, he's going to face it head on by having the, the cameras in the court. I think that's what his logic is here. He needs to be careful what he uh, wishes for as well, because there is a ton of, of, of evidence here. The number of people who will testify will be extraordinary. You know that uh, the day that Mike Pence takes the stand, if there's cameras in the courtroom, that that will dominate the news for the entire news cycle. So Donald Trump wants to dominate the news cycle himself. At least part of the time, the news cycle will be dominated by the evidence against Donald Trump, which is something that he may be asking for, but I'm not sure that he wants. I'm not sure that he wants to have, you know, one day it's Bill Barr, the next day it's Cassidy Hutchinson, the next day it's Mike Pence, the next day it's Mark Meadows, the next day it is, I mean, goes on and on and on. We don't know. Exactly. Charlie, you're you're so right, because pretty much every witness is going to be a Republican. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. You and I know this, but I think a lot of other Americans, to your point about people being disengaged, which I don't think that we can overstate. Yeah. And that's why a lot of this, this, you know, one year out punditry, there are an extraordinary number of Americans that are in absolute complete denial that we're go- they're going to have to choose between Biden and Trump again. That's right. They just don't want it. And generally, when there's something that's coming, you just don't want. You don't think about it, right? You think about something else. You know, you just, oh, come on. You yes. Know? We have to do it. So Yeah. And by the way, this is further, I guess, more evidence that maybe it would be a good thing to televise the trial is that, you know, during the um, January 6th hearings, when people saw it, when it was right in front of their faces. Right. They forget quickly, but yeah. Yeah. But when they were reminded, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that guy. So, um, but there's other things, Charlie, that in, were in that piece that I, I would like to talk to you about because it's been a long standing yeah, yeah. frustration, but maybe now is the moment when this all has to come together. Um, it's been a long standing frustration for you, for me, about the behavior of Republicans in the face of this threat. It's come up a couple of times. <laughs> it has come up occasionally, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I wonder, like, Martin asks Biden to sort of be the leader here, but I wonder whether it's even necessary for Biden to be the one to pull them in. Shouldn't there be efforts now by Dick Cheney, who's still with us, George W. Bush, who's still very much with us, Mitt Romney, who we know is willing, Liz Cheney, all of these people to come together and say, we're going to cut ads to say nothing of Mark Milley and the others who served in the in the Trump administration. We're going to cut ads. We're going to make statements saying we are for Biden, Mm. you know, Republicans for Biden. This is an existential moment. I don't like what Biden did on student loans, blah, blah. But at this moment, it has to be we have to vote against Trump because You're skeptical. Okay, go for it. I am skeptical about it because my experience has been that, uh, and I know I'm an outlier at the bulwark here, 
But uh, my experience has been that when you talked with double haters or Republicans who are still conservatives about this uh, election, you can persuade them not to support Donald Trump. You can support you can persuade them to vote against Donald Trump. But if you begin the conversation by saying you need to vote for Joe Biden, it's over. It's done right then. We are talking about an election that will be decided by double haters. If you try to deal with the double haters by saying you ought to like this person you hate, Mm. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, The fact is that Joe Biden has a lot of baggage. I think one of the failures, and since this is just between you and me, of the Never Trump movement to have more traction has been the number of Never Trumpers who have basically said, we're not really conservatives anymore. We're now Democrats. We are now liberal Democrats. Because what you've done is you've taken yourself out of the conversation with those Republican swing voters. Now, to your point, the names you listed have not done that yet. Liz Cheney has not done that. She has not become a liberal Democrat. Others still have credibility. I think they're most effective when they say, we have worked with Donald Trump, he cannot return. The vote for Biden, maybe there'll come a moment where you have to do this later in the cycle. But if you're trying to make the case right now, I think what you've done is you've, they're going to turn the, the channel or it becomes a white noise. Try having this conversation with Republican voters, conservative-leaning voters in the real world. The moment you say you must vote for Biden, they tune you out. Whereas they are receptive to pointing out that Donald Trump is, in fact, they will they will recognize that he's an existential threat to democracy. Uh, this is tactical here. I'm not I'm not making a larger you know, you know. No, no, I understand. So so first of all, I, I wasn't necessarily saying that the Republicans should do this, that, that the Republicans I named or others should do this now. Okay. That's a, that is a tactical okay. decision. And it could mm-hmm. be it's too early. People aren't focused yet. But down the road, I mean, is it going to be more effective to say, and therefore stay home, therefore stay home? I mean, is that a more effective message than therefore vote Biden? I don't know. I think that what needs to be pounded right now, and, and, I, and I wrote this last week, I said, look, what is the main job one of 2024? It is not electing Biden. It is stopping Trump. So you have to ask yourself, what is the most effective way of stopping Trump, of getting Trump not in the White House? I think that that case can be made. I think that it needs to be made for reasons that you did, we just discussed a little while ago, that people have not been following all of this. They haven't been going, hey, what did you think of that dinner with uh, Yi and Nick Fuentes? What about the fact that he called for suspending the Constitution? What about that crazy tweet? What about all of this stuff? But if you begin focusing on it, I think it will have some sort of an impact. And, you know, so this is why Liz Cheney, people like Liz Cheney, and frankly, even, and I know this is a slightly unpopular opinion, Chris Christie, I think are more effective than having just another liberal Democrat make the case for Biden. And I understand that I'm in the minority here. I get that. Well, I mean, Dick Cheney and George W. Bush are not just another liberal Democrat. No, they're not. Or Mitt Romney. Right. And so they have a lot of credibility. Mitt Romney has not changed his position on these issues. Let me just move ahead tactically, because I said people are in denial that there's a choice between Trump and Biden. But the fact is that this choice may be complicated. We may have a no labels candidate out there. We, we could have John Huntsman on the ballot. You could have Cornell West on the ballot, you know, far lefty. 
very far lefty. You could have uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on the ballot. You could have Jill Stein. Four-way, five-way, Jill Stein. So imagine, you know, you're looking at a, at a race where it's not crazy. You could be looking at 36% Trump, 34% Biden, 22% RFK. I'm making these numbers up. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. at that point, then we need to revisit this conversation about what you say, because at that point, it's like, Guys, if you do not vote for Joe Biden, you're going to have one of two things happen. You are either going to elect Donald Trump, he will win the Electoral College with a small minority of the vote, or you will throw it into the House of Representatives. And if you think it's been a shit show so far, hang on. Yeah. So. Well, and, and if it does go into the House of Representatives because of the way our system works, they will elect Trump. Mm-hmm. Because they control more state delegations, even though they represent fewer Americans. Uh, and you vote by state delegation in the House. Right. So, yeah, that all also is a recipe for a Trump victory. Yeah. So now you've made the case very well that eventually it does come down to as much as you don't like it, you have to support Biden. Look, Charlie, here's another factor. It may be hard to get Republicans to vote for Biden, but it's already happened. Okay, it happened in 2020. We looked at those districts that are traditional Republican districts, mostly in the suburbs, that contained college educated Americans who, in certain numbers, voted for Republicans down ballot and voted for Biden for president. So that's pretty clear that for some percentage, some wonderful percentage of Republicans, they were willing to say, yeah, this can't happen. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, yeah, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, but I'm not going to be a Joe Biden fanboy or figure that that um, you know my role is to tell people that they're wrong about Biden's record on inflation, um, that he's really right on all of these different things. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because I do not want uh, Donald Trump to be in the White House. I mean, I will crawl through glass. I will walk through fire to vote for Joe Biden because I'm voting against Donald Trump. But I think the valuable niche that we have, by which I mean center-right people, if we are center-right, is to be able to say, yeah, I know you, you and I are, is to sound the alarm, to talk about Donald Trump in terms of conservative values and what we want from America. If we just become another partisan pro-Biden fanboy voice, I don't think that we have much traction. So in the end, I mean, I I actually tried to sign up for a, you know, Republicans for Biden thing right before the 2020 election. I mean, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I did too. And then, of course, the the Democrats slam dunked that. It was like, no, we do not want you. We don't (laughs) want your name. No, no, we don't need you. Well, okay. So- yeah. So what do you think about this no labels thing? Because this seems like it's going to be real now. And I have to tell you, there's going to be a tremendous amount of interest and attraction to it. This is a you know double hater year. If there's ever been a year where people are going to look at that third party, I mean, I think that it's a dangerous, dangerous risk. But I can certainly understand its appeal and why it might um, be a real problem next year. What do you think? I am trying to wrap my head around how someone who loves their country and who wants to see more centrist politics uh, prevail, looks at the current array of the parties and the situation 
and says, yeah, uh, this is this is the time to risk a third party to risk letting Trump get elected. So I, I, I'm having trouble understanding that. So, OK, they deny it. They say, no, no, no. If it looks like it's going to be we would be spoilers, then we won't do it. Like when we were together in Austin, I ran into Joe Manchin. And he said that. He said that to me in an elevator. You know, oh, no, no, we would never be spoilers. So what are they up to? What do you think is going on there? So the way I imagine it is them sitting around a room with lots of high dollar donors and a couple of self-interested operatives and being told, you know, this is your moment. Like you could really save America from from a bad situation where we've got these two 80-year-olds, although by the way, when they're talking to somebody like Joe Manchin, who's 76, it's a little hard to say, you know, you're going to save us from these octogenarians, but whatever. He looks great, by the way, for 76. There are certain 76-year-olds who look Mm -hmm. 66, and he's one of them. But anyway, there's an ego aspect to this of, you know, this could be your moment and you could say, especially when you've just lost your seat. Uh, Now, it's not going to be Manchin at the head of the ticket because they've already said they're going to run a Republican. So I don't know if the ego gratification of being John Huntsman's (laughs) VP on a third-party ticket is really all that appealing. Okay, I, I don't disagree with that at all, but I'm also can understand the argument for people who are sincerely concerned about this, about the intense extremism and polarization of our politics. Like, don't we need an alternative to this, you know, the the, the duopoly? Don't we need to find a way to break the fever by having somebody that's going to appeal to the decent middle? And this is the way when we can understand this, because you have these loud voices on both sides. You know, can we come together? Is there is there some, you know, a new party that breaks us out of the toxicity? And the strongest arguments that I can make against that, again, this becomes a little bit circular, is I actually get that. I understand that. I would normally be the kind of person who would be in the target audience for that. But Donald Trump. And you cannot open the door to Donald Trump. Now, if I walked into that conversation and somebody was talking about the breaking the duopoly and having some some different choice, if I start the conversation by saying, let me tell you why you're all wrong about Joe Biden and inflation and why Joe Biden, no, no, it's got to be, look, I understand what you want to do, but a Trump 2.0 presidency is not about right and left, it's not about Democrat, Republican. It is an existential threat to liberal constitutional democracy. Because that that's the strong argument, you know, not the you, you should just vote Democrat up and down the ballot. That's not going to. No, I understand. I understand. But here's the thing. I mean, can't they have figured that out all by themselves without us telling them? I, I mean, would you think know, it's so. pretty, pretty glaringly obvious. You know, the other thing is, if you're really if you're sincere and that you want to reform American politics and make it, you know, make more of a lane for the reasonable center and isolate the extremes. You don't do it at the presidential level. I mean, you have to go local. You have to start reforming the way our parties are structured. You have to look at things like Catherine Gale and other reformers who are talking about changing the way we run primaries in this country and the way we run elections so that you have, you know, open primaries, for example, nonpartisan primaries, and then ranked choice voting, which would, you know, 
be much better, arguably, we'd have to see how it works, but so far, at least, in the Mm -hmm. places where it's been tried, like Alaska and other places, it has produced more moderation. And so if that's your goal, definitely, you know, join these grassroots efforts that are trying to reform our, our political system so that we have less power given to the extremists and the lunatics. I'm all for that. And I've talked about it a lot on Beg to Differ and, you know, tried to elevate some of these reform efforts. But to just parachute in to a presidential race where everything comes down to the Electoral College and yeah. say, here's where we're going to do it when there is there are structural reasons why it cannot happen. A lot of it's really deeply dishonest. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, some of their analysis is just utterly delusional. Yeah. Utterly, and that makes me question their good faith when they put out these memos, which seem like they're written for well-heeled rubes. Exactly. Saying, here's how your money might actually, you know, have an effect on them. No, this no. is, this is, that's a scam. Exactly. It's a grift and it's a scam at that point. Yes. I agree with you. It cannot work. And so, you know, they are, uh, yeah, there are going to be a lot of people parting with, uh, with good money for an impossible thing, but that could be exceedingly dangerous. So, yeah. So <sighs> what do you think about Tim Scott with withdrawing and what it means for the race? Should we overanalyze that for like five minutes? Okay. I wanted to ask you, so you th- do you think he's still angling to be Trump's VP? He may be, but he's not going to get it. Trump's not going to go for a loser. Yeah. I mean, he underwhelmed on the stage. Very much so. And also, just I keep coming back to the problem that Donald Trump has with this. He cannot have a strong vice president. Um, the vice president is the one person he cannot fire. The moment um, he is ele- if he's elected, that vice president becomes an independent center of power, becomes the heir apparent. But you just said that he was weak, that, that Scott was weak. Or seem to be a loser. Well, 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 but he wants someone who is going to, this is part of this cognitive dissonance that, that Trump deals with. If you woke up Trump at two in the morning and said, who do you want? He'd say, you know, Don Jr. or Ivanka. He wants the dynasty. <laughs> but yeah. Tim Scott was just a bad candidate. Just another reminder how guys that may look good on paper as governors or as senators just are shitty candidates. Exactly. Now, the big question, in fact, the only question that I think is interesting, though, is this the key thing that Nikki Haley needed? Because Nikki Haley has no path to the nomination. Okay, period, I could stop right there. But (laughs) she has no path to the nomination without winning in South Carolina. And if she divided the vote, if she split the vote in South Carolina, there's, there's no shot whatsoever. Now, at least, if you squint a certain way, if you contort yourself, if you... If you try to imitate a pretzel, you can say, okay, she finishes second in Iowa, maybe does well in New Hampshire, and then runs the table in South Carolina. Okay, so is this Nikki's moment? Because it does seem like all of the, if there were planets and if they did align, this would be kind of (laughs) Nikki week, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, look, I mean, she is a phenomenon, let's face it. She has shown herself. You know, she has shown herself to be an incredibly effective candidate. Surprising. Yeah. Let's remember when she first started out, I didn't give her a second thought. And uh, a lot of people didn't. Me neither. But she hung in there and she was strong and steady. And look, we've had our, you know, I wouldn't trust her because, you know, she she is super ambitious and she'll do whatever it takes. I'm still smarting over her uh, uh, inviting 
Hagee to give the invocation at her announcement. And, I'd forgotten and, about that. And, That's, oh, oof. yes. And then, you know, uh, sidling up to Diamond and Silk, you know, during the whole Trump era and uh, and switching back and forth on Trump after January 6th. She said, we made a mistake. We have to get past all that. Then she, she scurried right back to it. Okay. All of that is true. So we don't trust her. On the other hand, you cannot deny that in a situation where everybody thought Ron DeSantis was, you know, gold and he's turned out to be a terrible candidate. What were they and this thinking, is yeah, huh? and this is in line with what you just said about Tim Scott. Candidates matter. Pr- campaigns matter. And she ran a really smart campaign. She is still running a smart campaign. She is effective. To see her up on the debate stage, you know, the debate, everybody said the debates didn't matter. I think they did matter Uh, just in terms of in this other world where if there were no Trump, you know, she would be on a, I think, a a very um, not necessarily glide path to the nomination, but she would definitely be like the story. But unfortunately, we live on Earth 2.1, where Trump is, uh, you know, still, what, 30 points ahead of everybody else. Oh, my God. But it was the latest poll I saw. He had 64% of the vote, which tells you exactly what the Republican. And this is, again, one of these, you know, you are not we are not the crazy ones here. You know, as a conservative Republican and you look at Donald Trump on the one hand and then Nikki Haley. And you know how Nikki Haley would do in the, in the you know, what kind of a president she would be, but also how she would do in the general election. And you have a choice. Yeah. It's not Trump or nobody. It's Trump or her. And you're right. going to go, I want, I want him. I want, I want all the him. baggage. I want all of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but I, but I think that, that you can see the way this is playing out, that she's going to be the last person standing. Yeah, it looks that There's way. sort of the dead cat bounce with Ron DeSantis, but. I think the Tim Scott thing makes it inevitable that it's going to be down to her. That Vivek bubble lasted, what, like five minutes? Yeah. And and he uh, actually gave her an opportunity to show how tough she can be. Uh, you know, she slapped the one guy that everybody wanted to slap. And uh, <laughs> so that was... Uh, that was satisfying. Look, uh, you know, I wish, boy, I mean... If I could just have one wish, it would be that Nikki Haley would be the the Republican nominee, and then I could breathe easy about so many things about the future of this country. These are words you probably didn't think you'd say six months ago. No. I completely agree with you. And in a blink of an eye, our policy would be different. So I actually did my daily podcast uh, for tomorrow with with Peter Weiner, you know, your good friend. Ah, my friend. And I only touched on... I touched on, on a question that I think is really important. It's the, you know, if not for question is given the toxicity of our politics and the dis- dishonesty and all of this stuff that if not for Donald Trump, what would our world be like? Because I understand that the dysfunction of the Republican Party was a pre-existing condition. I understand that many of these issues were going to bubble to the top. And I understand that there is this vast ecosystem out there. But I can't escape the belief that if not for Donald Trump, it might be bad, but it would not be nearly as horrific. We would have had a peaceful transfer of power. We would not be facing this kind of challenge. We would not have convicted felons running for president of the United States. We would not have had the conservative movement embrace the kind of uh, nihilism that it has embraced. None of that would have happened. No QAnon. I mean, you, you would look, I understand. We had the Michelle Bachmans. We have the, you know, Mike Huckabees. We have the Newt Gingriches. We have all of those people. But- Donald Trump has been a uniquely toxic. 
toxic influence. So if not for Donald Trump, would we still be where we are? Because a lot of people on the left say, no, he was inevitable. He just one of you. They were always trending that way all the time. Going back to Reagan, it's always been this way. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. And, uh, you know, we always had, there were always fever swamps, but they weren't in the White House. They weren't in the Congress. They weren't in the Speaker's chair. Yeah. They weren't in the Speaker's chair. Yeah. Uh, Mike Johnson just said he's all in for Trump 2024. What a surprise. Yeah. Shocking. Once you break that Overton window, you know, it's it's almost like, you know, all the the sewer gases rise and then you can't put them back in. Um, that, that's a mixed metaphor here, but you- No, I like it though. I Vivid. <laughs> it's vivid. Mixed, but vivid. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And, and so it, people got the sense that they could just, and this was one of the appeals of Trump and it's the appeal of, of other authoritarian and evil leaders around the world is that it gives people permission to let their own demons out. And, you know, it's a lot of work for people to hold that in, hold it all together. And, you know, once you get the permission structure to say, yeah, it's all right, you can do it. It's kind of intoxicating for the very worst people in the society. And so that's what he has done. He has unleashed all these poisons. And, you know, I'll tell you in all honesty, I've never said this on our podcast, but the last 10 years, eight years, however long it's been since MAGA, you know, one of my defining traits, I think, throughout most of my life was a deep patriotism about this country. Love this country. Love mm-hmm. my fellow Americans. I love them less now. I've just seen too much. Yeah. I love them less. I'm sorry. It's true. Look, I, I don't think you're alone or in the minority on that, by the way. I don't <sighs> think you're an outlier. All right, so we've talked about TV shows that we we watch and everything. You know what I've been watching with my French grandson? What? We, we have been binge-watching Stranger Things. Oh, I, I haven't seen that. And I have to tell you, going back to your analogy, one of the things that Donald Trump did was he broke the seal. He opened the gate. Opened yeah. the gate to all of it. And we are now living in the upside-down world. Yeah. And somehow we need to – okay, I'm not I'm being nerdy – we need to close the gate. We need to reseal it up and return to the non-upside-down world. Now, people who watch Stranger Things know exactly what I'm talking about. So think about it, because when you open the gate, all the demons are let loose, and they're all there. So there were bad people and bad things were going on before, but once you break yep. the seal and open the gate, they get, like, way shittier. So... We're going to leave it on that completely geeky note. On that uplifting note. um, Okay, can I tell you what I've been binge watching? Yes. Bad Sisters on Apple TV. Mm. Which is, (laughs) it's amusing. It's It's a drama in Ireland. There are four or five sisters, and one of them is married to the world's worst person. It is the story of how he's, he alienates, through the most grotesque behavior, each one, and then they all decide to kill him. And so this is the this is the plot. <laughs> okay, I, I definitely have to check <laughs> that out because amusing, I, I, I need to say. switch. I need to switch at least temporarily to, to something else. Mona, so you report back to me <laughs> next week, and I'll report back to to you. And uh, <sighs> we'll do this again next Tuesday. And I'm going to see you uh, Thursday night in DC, right? Oh yeah, looking forward. Right, okay. the ga- gathering of the clans. All the flying monkeys in one place, (laughs) in one location. All right, talk to you then. Okay, bye.